Welcome to the Higher Ed Podcast, where we explore the latest developments and emerging trends in the world of higher education. Our podcast features in-depth discussions with the industry's leading experts, providing valuable insights and actionable advice for academic leaders and executives. From designing impactful universities and establishing strong brand identities for colleges to delivering exceptional student services, we cover it all. Join us as we reimagine the future of higher education one episode at a time. Welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Kamar D. Jarnett, flying solo again today. Liz has just been vacationing, been all over the country working as well. She'll be back. She's not going forever, but uh, I'm holding down the fort solo. Got a great guest with us today, uh, Jeffrey Roche. Really excited that you were able to make the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. So uh, excited to be here, Jeffrey Roach. I actually um, hold two two roles, one in the higher ed space. I serve as an uh, industry uh, lead uh, advisor in the in the healthcare space for an organization called Core Education PBC. Um, and then I also serve uh, as the inaugural director of workforce development uh, for Siemens Health and Ears. And so um, you know, I've been blessed to have been in higher ed and in industry, and and uh, it's wonderful to be here with you. Wow, that's outstanding. Now, Ben, as though we've worked in kind of both of those spaces, like how how did you end up kind of in healthcare and ed education? Yeah, so I actually started my career in hospital administration, and uh, you know, it was actually in that role that I was doing a lot of work with community colleges and four year public and four year private around you know partnerships and. Um, specifically, obviously, a lot in the nursing programs and healthcare related programs. And then, um, and then, you know, our healthcare system actually went through an acquisition, we were the smaller uh, end of, of the of the merger. Sure. And, um, and so I went through a restructuring in that experience. And actually, then I came into academia. And uh, uh, partially, my interest was, I had seen how difficult it can be sometimes when you're on the industry side to partner with academia. And so I wanted to bring what I knew uh, you know, having been on the industry side into academia to see how I could help uh, an academic institution uh, be a better partner, uh, you know, within this critical work. And so that's really what first brought me into it. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I know, and, you know, uh, from an education perspective, I think, you know, career colleges always understood this, but now I think everybody's kind of getting it, you know, the purpose that, you know, people are going for their education is for that career right, for that opportunity that comes after it. So I guess maybe, you know, we could start by you maybe telling us a little bit more about that passion, right, to link higher ed with industry, where it came from, what the journey's been like, and maybe about some of your successes. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, everything in higher ed and 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 such is always a journey, right? Um, sure. You know, so uh, as I mentioned, after my hospital administration time uh, came in initially into a liberal arts, private liberal arts college, uh, Lebanon Valley College, a uh, small uh, institution in central Pennsylvania uh, to serve as their vice president of strategic initiatives. And while I was there, uh, you know, had a great, uh, great time of really building out their public-private partnerships framework, uh, which ultimately, you know, in my time there brought uh, millions of dollars in state government as well as support from, uh, from ironically, healthcare employers. And, you know, part of that was we were in the midst of building a brand new health sciences building, 
Uh, I saw great opportunity for us to better engage with healthcare uh, partners. I always had an I always had a mantra in my higher ed administration days that you don't launch a new program if you don't have an anchor partner. And you know, obviously, you know a lot about enrollment. Enrollment's not easy, and so if you have an anchor partner and can really tie enrollment back to that anchor partner, you're you're in a much stronger position. And so, uh, while I was there, you know, had a healthcare system that that funded the creation, the development, the hiring of the first faculty in a master's in clinical psychology. Uh, it was a great project that I worked on with our VP of Advancement and our provost, um, and I did a lot of other you know related projects like that. Following that experience, I actually was recruited by the president of Harrisburg University of Science and Technology uh, to come over there and serve on the president's cabinet uh, there, uh, leading all of our healthcare work uh, in uh, our, our four campuses, uh, one in Harrisburg, one in Philadelphia, um, and then one in Abu Dhabi, and then one in, in Latin America. And so um, obviously uh, global um, but but big focus on a few things that obviously nursing, healthcare informatics, population health, et cetera. Um, and, you know, probably a, a, some of the things that I'm most proud of there uh, specifically was we actually did a partnership with with PCOM, Philadelphia area, uh, the Philadelphia uh, College of Osteopathic Medicine uh, to actually link the master's in healthcare informatics into the, the DO program. Uh, and, and students who were even in the pharmacy program that could take that program on. And I also did a, a very large scale partnership with UPMC, uh, which resulted in the UPMC schools of nursing, actually bringing their schools of nursing, which is a hospital based diploma program from Pittsburgh to Harrisburg and actually putting it in the Harrisburg University of Science and Technology campus, uh, which presented a great opportunity for enrollment. As so again, students would start as a high, as a hospital based diploma program in nursing after they graduated high school, uh, would graduate from the hospital based diploma program through the UPMC schools of nursing, and then matriculate right into the R and the BSN at Harrisburg University. And so, um, you know, huge workforce program, but also huge enrollment opportunity for the university. No, that's that's extraordinary. So as you as you are you know kind of embarking on this journey. Did you see that, I guess, employers and education understood it or was it, you know, was it hostile? Was it a fight? Were they, you know, disconnected? Because it seems obvious from afar, but I can definitely understand how people in the trenches may not see it that way. Yeah. You know, I think, again, I had been in their shoes, right? So I had walked, uh, you know, sort of walked the walk and talked the talk. So I understood what it was like to have been on the hospital side of these things. And so I always, um, I would say probably there was more of a struggle at times on the university and the college side than there was, uh, than there was on the healthcare side, because in many ways I was saying to them, Hey, look, we know you have these needs. Um, how can we be a, a solution provider to you to help fulfill those needs? Right. And sometimes, as you know, in, in the university setting, that may be pushing the envelope a little bit. And so uh, depending on the circumstance. And so uh, what I always knew, you know, was was got to have the president on board and you got to have the provost on board. Absolutely. Um, and then it's really up to the provost to help get faculty on board uh, if if necessary. And, you know, what what always was important was to still make the case. Okay. And to your question you know, it was still critical for me to work with the area workforce boards, uh, certainly our labor market data 
to understand why we would even want to do this so that as I would get questions, I could help them understand why it was critical. Why should we consider to do this? I think generally people in higher ed, um, you know, they, they, they just want to see the data. Uh, and I think when you when you open up the data and you help them see how they can be a part of the solution, generally people do want to come on board. I think oftentimes we just we just don't aren't always inclusive enough. And I always strive my uh, as a leader myself to be as inclusive as possible. Uh, let them ask questions. Let them challenge uh, the, the idea, because ultimately in doing so allowed it to be much stronger. Um, and so I engaged faculty, uh, you know, in a lot of those processes because they're the subject matter experts. And sure. uh, like my hospital days where I would say I'm dealing with doctors, you know, in, in academia, you're dealing with doctors, too. It's just a different type of a doctor. That's a great point. That's a great point. So. As you, you know, I guess kind of continue to, you know, unpack it, explore it, how did COVID maybe you know, I don't know, amplify this need, you know, because I know there were a lot of you know training needs in the medical field. But I also, you know, as I continue to talk to more and more people, a lot of people, there was a shift, right, in terms of education. And is it worth it? Where's the value? I'm paying for this university, but now I'm doing it remote. So I'm curious of, you know, maybe the shift that was brought to this, you know, through COVID and, you know, kind of your observations. Yeah, I think to your point, COVID and and the the you know the changes in the economy, uh, certainly the perceptions of higher ed have certainly made higher ed leaders, boards of trustees, really understand that um, there is no greater time than to really pull industry and higher ed together. Yeah. I regularly say that when you you know again being a healthcare person, when you bring eds and meds together to solve a challenge, you're in a much stronger position. You know, you think about it today, we're dealing with some of the most challenging times in our history when it comes to the healthcare workforce. Yet, if you would go to any hospital system in this country and would say, well, how many nursing students are going to graduate in May uh, or December from this college? Do you think they know? They generally don't. And so we've got to have a stronger relationship. We've got to have, uh, you know, not only a symbiotic one, but we've got to have a, a futuristic one that also helps us prepare for the challenges, prepare for the changes in the labor market, because they're only gonna continue. And so I think obviously, uh, without question, that work has increased. In fact, if you look at why an organization like CORE started, you know, CORE was started as an operating partner to higher ed institutions, mm. um, not to ever have change of control. The institution always maintains control but CORE works with the president and the board to, to form a partnership. And then CORE does work on behalf of that institution, uh, like an operating partner would do. And one of, the, one of the things that CORE does is CORE works to support the institution in the development of non-credit, uh, you know, non-credit academic workforce development programs that then ultimately can come back into the institution for credit uh, through credit for prior learning, uh, through you know dual enrollment, but also works to really support the institution to better manage and make the business and industry relationships happen. Yeah. And that work is so critical. And I think uh, we're at a really interesting time here in the U.S. To your point, where statistics are saying 
you know, higher ed isn't as valued. And I would often say, uh, first of all, I think I think that uh, anybody who says higher ed is is not a value um, is is a bit clueless. Uh, it's absolutely a value. The opportunity for us and all of those of us that have an, you know are involved in some way within higher ed is to better demonstrate that value. Mm-hmm. And one way to demonstrate that is to really make sure that you're working with employers, you're helping solve their labor challenges, their upskilling opportunities. And in doing so, the people of that organization are going to see that that college is involved and they're going to see that that intentionality around helping solve an issue is, is, is clear. Are you struggling to scale your student prospects? Well, look no further than Engine Systems. Our BPO lead generation service is specifically designed to help you generate qualified student prospects increase enrollments, and provide your team with a stress-free experience. Partnering with us is a breeze. We offer rapid deployment, a fixed cost structure, and seamless scalability that won't impact your internal systems. We take care of the entire prospect generation process, offer growth strategies and resources, and have a proven track record of delivering impressive results. But best of all, there are no costs unless a student is admitted. So why wait to become a leader in student recruitment? Contact us today to learn more about how we can help you scale your student prospects and achieve your enrollment goals. With Engine Systems, you've found your solution to student prospect scaling. Yeah, no, you are, it's, I mean, hearing you talk about it, it's like you really, from being on both sides, like you see how obvious the connection is. And it, it's, I mean, it just, I mean, it really is. It, it makes sense for both parties. So yeah. um, yeah, having you kind of do that type of work, I think is extremely valuable. Um, so, so for our audience, I would love to hear you talk a bit about, you know, workforce development, right? What is it? You know, how do you think about it? And, you know, why is it going to be important as we continue to move into the future? Yeah. So when you think of workforce development, you know, it's important to look at it from a multitude of different ways, right? You know, if you look in the higher ed space today, pretty much every week, we're seeing opportunities come out of the federal government, out of different state governments related to workforce development. There's one out right now uh, related to career connected high schools, which is the idea that the more we can do in the high school setting to better prepare them for careers in partnership with community colleges, will set someone up for uh, success. But workforce development historically in the higher ed space has really been more so in the community college setting where they have offered very robust non-credit and credit workforce development programs, preparing people to be HVAC technicians, preparing people to be medical assistants, preparing people to be surge techs, you name it. There's also an opportunity in the four-year public and private uh, sector of higher ed to really, again, look at different workforce type of solutions that ultimately can drive impact to the region that they serve. It's also critical to look at it from the vantage point of every country, or not country, every state in in the United States as a country um, has a workforce board, and usually they're regional. And these workforce boards are responsible for running a number of workforce-related programs. Uh, one WIOA, uh, the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, which is an act that that's specifically designed 
to help individuals who qualify based on eligibility to take workforce development programs that will help them achieve their dreams. There's a youth wheel program and there's a whole host of other programs related to individuals that have been, you know, that dealt with, um, you know, being in prison, but then have been rehabilitated. And there's programs like that. And there's programs for, for moms and there's programs for other individuals. All of these things can be tough to navigate. And again, that's where higher ed can be a player uh, in this process to help individuals find their way, uh, achieve their dreams. I will also say, though, what's really critical here, too, is, you know, we have to we have to understand that the journey of a student is very different and it's always changing. And, um, you know, when you look at it, there are so many roles that an individual can do with just an associate's degree. And I think rather than being so hung up on, well, we got to get them into a bachelor's, we need to be focused on, well, get them into that role and then have the employer invest in them to obtain that bachelor's. You know, these are different times and not everyone can afford that bachelor's degree, uh, nor should we push them uh, if they can't afford it. And so I think, you know, that's the type of thinking we really need to, to consider here is those types of things. But really, workforce development uh, looks at every angle from veterans uh, to, you know, to, to the youth, um, to adults that would qualify for different uh, different sources of funding. And ultimately, it's focused on, again, programs, certifications, certificate programs that are going to help them, uh, you know, obtain a job uh, or grow within the sector that they're in. Right. So it's, it's almost like with the Venn diagram, right? You've got the, um, you know, let's say the hospital or the employer that needs the, 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 the worker, right? And then you have the educator that's going to train and educate the worker. And then you have the state or the government that can potentially help fund them. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, are there, you know, you know, I don't know, tips or strategies that you could maybe share to kind of helping that, you know, kind of three ring, you know, work together? Yeah. I would definitely encourage every higher ed institution in the country to, to reach out to your workforce board and see how you can become a part of the eligible training provider list. That's the critical piece of this. If you can become a part of the eligible training provider list, you then are on the list yep. when there's a need for programs and when there's a need to help fulfill those different aspects. And so that's really the best you know source of advice that I would give. Second, ask your employers where you can be helpful. Um, they regularly are dealing with these issues and I always say, this is where higher ed is uniquely designed to help. Sure. It's an academy for a reason. Right. Um, and we really need to demonstrate that value and impact as an academy to help our employers with these challenges. Yeah, I know another one of your passions is simulation, right? And with the advent or the um, acceleration of AI, that starts to become a, a much scarier word. I, I'd love to, you know, hear how you think about that. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. I, I, I find it absolutely crazy that we we sit at a time with so much discussion of AI and Chat GPT, sure. and the higher ed community is up in arms over this. I mean, I mean, you know, there was a time where they were up in arms about computers and laptops and iPads, and right. at the end of the day. Uh, it's a changing world and higher ed should be an entity that's that's used to that 
and helps us prepare uh, our students for the future. So, you know, when you look at simulation, you know, similarly, this is where there's opportunities for accrediting bodies too. Right. Uh, and, you know, I would say, don't get me started in that subject. But <laughs> um, when you look at healthcare and when you look at the future of, of the students that are coming in, we all know they're more tech driven. Uh, they play video games. In fact, in a pretty big way. And when you think about it, we've got to help develop learning solutions that are going to resonate with them and for them. We can't decide what we believe the learning solutions are in the academy without their input. Uh, And for our accrediting body folks, you also have to remember that times have changed. Uh, And and just because your accreditation and licensing is back in 1990 does not mean it's relevant for 2023 and beyond. And so uh, simulation is a great example. There are still healthcare professions uh, under accreditation and licensure that won't allow simulation to replace in-person clinical simulation. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of crazy because the reality of it is, is that we know AR, VR, we know other forms of extended reality are very effective ways to train. In fact, sometimes more effective. Um, and they also help level the equity playing field because not everyone can always get to a place in person. Um, and so we've got to be thinking about these types of things. And so, you know, I, I, I've toured a lot of simulation centers, uh, you know, in my career, and I'm really encouraged that I'm seeing more and more higher ed institutions and, and, uh, and also, uh, you know, even other uh, employers really think about how you bring these types of solutions into the learning and development. Um, I'm really encouraged that I'm seeing more embrace of AR, VR and, and, and different ways to leverage the technology to, again, help prepare people, there's a lot of benefits to it. And, you know, I look at a few years ago, I went to ASU GSV and I I did the Dreamscape, uh, you know, which is the Arizona State University uh, AR science program. Okay. And I thought afterwards, oh my gosh, I would have, I would have gone into biology if I had this program uh, because it was so engaging. And so, you know, we've got to be really thinking about these types of things for, for not only a current, but also our future learners. Wow. Well said. Well said. So let's fast forward. It's 2040. What does higher ed look like? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think without question, there will be less colleges and universities mm-hmm. um, in, by 2040. And and the reason I say that is I think similar to what we've seen in the healthcare industry, we will we will continue to see more merger acquisition and closures. And um And I don't say that from a doomsday moment, but I do say it from the vantage point that this is the opportunity that a college and a university has. Uh, Boards of trustees have a fiduciary responsibility. And like other industries, I think boards have to uh, do a better job of preparing their institutions for the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know enrollment is down pretty generally. Um, It doesn't look like it's going to be bouncing back for quite a while if we look at the cliff, right? right? And so the opportunity for us is how do we retool to best meet needs of employers? How do we retool to best meet needs of the learner? And that may mean shorter certificates, uh, micro-credentials, uh, you know, a whole host of different things. The other piece I think that's critical is we 
I think without question, we're going to continue to see this this boom in the ed tech space. Um, and I think if you're a higher ed institution, yes, you feel threatened by it. But but instead of feeling threatened, go find your way to partner. Uh, go right. find your way to be in this work together because we need both. And so, you know, I think we're going to be at a really interesting time. Uh, as I said, I do think we'll have less. But um, one of the things that I've I've been saying, and I will continue to say it, if you're a college or you're in a, in your university and you've got larger employers in your backyard, now's the time to be talking about how you become their internal learning and development arm of the organization. Absolutely. Because you've got phenomenal resources and they need you. And so instead of sitting back and just having an enrollment articulation, get strategic, get deliberate and get intentional and see how you can be a true valued partner uh, to that employer. Awesome. I can't think of a better place to end it than right there. Um, I really appreciate you. Um, any Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook you want to share with our audience of where they can get in contact yeah. with you? Yeah. So feel free anytime. Reach out on LinkedIn. That's where I'm, I'm most active uh, among all those other uh, other social media aspects. But happy to connect anytime. Yeah. One of our mantras is higher ed needs an Elon Musk. But Jeffrey, I tell you, with your knowledge of, you know, kind of all sides, you you might be the Elon Musk for higher ed and bridging that gap to workforce development and just linking with in industries. I think you dropped um, some great jewels for um, higher ed leaders um, that they should definitely heed and um, implement. I appreciate you. Enjoy the weekend. You too. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Pleasure. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Higher Ed Podcast. To learn more about the topics covered in this episode, please visit engine.systems. Be sure to join us again next week and every week thereafter for more cutting-edge insights and practical advice to help you stay ahead in the dynamic world of higher education. Higher Ed.